Hi, Joe. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. So let's just kick things off. So you are the founder and CEO of Voxian Communications, where you focus on internal communication, employee engagement, and employer branding. So can you explain in a nutshell what Voxian does exactly for us mere mortals? <laughs> we can indeed. Yeah. So so Voxian was founded just to, to help distributed teams feel closer together, basically. Um, so we help leaders in remote and hybrid, hybrid organizations with strategy, with digital content, with uh, virtual experiences, and they're all designed to, to build trust, to inspire connection and really create incredible, flexible workplaces. And I, uh, so I, I personally have recognized through my, my years of being a remote worker, um, that Flexible work, it's, it's amazing. It offers so many benefits for, for individuals, for, for businesses as well. Like it means that you can hire in a borderless way and just get the best talent, which is incredible. Um, but it can also lead to feelings of loneliness, to stress, to misalignment, especially when the organizations are growing. Mm. And then this can obviously lead to, to poor productivity, to disengagement. So, so, uh, I launched Voxian with that vision that with really intentional communication, we can we can create very happy, high-performing distributed teams that can also be super flexible. That's awesome. And because obviously with COVID, it threw us all in the ways of remote working. Yeah. What's your opinion on a lot of companies going back into office though? So not a lot are keeping to the remote working. What's your opinion on going back into office full-time or on a hybrid? Yeah. It's super interesting, actually, and we're seeing organizations that you wouldn't necessarily expect doing that as well. You know, you have uh, companies like Zoom recently mm. have announced that um, even though they were one of the big players in in helping teams be remote, they've called for a return to, to work uh, mandate. And so the way that I'm, I, I see it is that when the pandemic happened, we were kind of flung into this what you could call like a remote work experiment, if you like. So we had all these organizations that perhaps had never mm. really worked remotely before suddenly had to. And it was, there was no preparation really. We just had to do it. And uh, what's now happened is, well, at first we were like, look, guys, we can still work. We can still work when we're, when we're remote. We're still productive. But now we're beginning to see the cracks forming in, in, in this way of work. And if we were to do it again, and if any organization were to choose to go remote, there'd be a huge change management uh, piece, a massive project, lots of budget, loads of people involved. And we didn't have that, that choice. And, and the results mm. are now that we're seeing those cracks that we've realized that you can't just go remote and hope for the best. It's a work design. You have to create a, an organization that is remote ready. Um, and that goes for the employer side, the employee side as well. And, and, and so this is where we're now at. We're at this place where people are saying, oh, it didn't work or it doesn't work. Um, and it's not right for every individual. And I think that the, those individuals may wish to choose uh, an option where they, they can go into an office. That's great. But that's really what it means to be flexible, right? I think it's that uh, recognition that the vast, vast majority of individuals want flexibility. You know, they want to be able to have some time maybe working home um, so that they can pick their kids up occasionally or they might want to um, work yeah. in a co-working space now and then, get that, you know, different um, different perspective, different, you know, fresh, fresh scenery. 
and that's really what it's about. It's that that's what this new world of work is now about is is having that flexibility, but recognizing that we need to create workplaces mm. that that can function uh, to support our teams in doing so. Okay, so you also did a TEDx talk about the metaverse in the workplace. Yeah. So thing hearing you talk about, you know, setting up for the workplace to be able to, rem- to be remote and now bringing in the metaverse into this. So <laughs> how is that possible and how does that tie in with Voxian yeah. and the remote working now bringing in the metaverse? It seems like another layer or dynamic in the workspace when you're already <laughs> remote working. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's really interesting how this all came about. And, it you know, it's an amazing experience, but it really came from from my time as a, a remote worker. And I've, I've worked remotely for the best part of a decade. And, you know, I, I really recognized that we seem to be using video calls for everything, right? For any kind of, like, let's jump on a video call. And it became so much worse during the pandemic. Um, and that's when you know, the term Zoom fatigue was coined and it's a real thing and it's been scientifically proven and there's lots of research on it. Um, And at the time during the pandemic, I was actually working at at Epic Games and I was spending all my time seeing these incredible virtual environments that were being made. And I couldn't get over how we could communicate with, in certain ways, in these beautiful, engaging, creative environments. And yet our workplace communication was so dull. So I, mm. I did what I, I enjoy doing and I started researching and it, this then led me to start doing a PhD, specifically looking at how we can use immersive technology to better connect more humanly. And this is really a key part of, of Voxian as well, because it's all, about, it's all about creating connection and culture, even at a distance. Um, and we can't just rely on one type of technology to do that. You know, we need to use all of the tools at our disposal. Um, and use them in the way, uh, in a way that that really creates that that sense of uh, cohesion, collaboration, uh, and connection between our between our team members. So, what does a metaverse office look like? Because I've seen metaverse examples, and it looks more kind of like you have to be in a VR, <laughs> and then it has this whole space. I remember someone was talking to me about a VR safari. And I just thought, oh, I mean, are we, we're really at that point where people don't want to go and see animals for real life; yeah. they want it on VR, but what does a metaverse workspace look like exactly? So there's, um, it's an interesting thing, actually, because the word metaverse has become, um, I don't know whether I want to say misused, overused, um, but there's definitely, yeah, some, perhaps some misunderstandings around metaverse, the metaverse. And, and so actually a lot of people mm. in the space, especially since meta rebranded, have started moving away from using the term entirely because there is a bit of confusion around it. But the way that I see, first of all, the metaverse is that it's this next evolution of the internet. So it's, it's a more immersive version of the internet, um, but it, it's also, it's a highly complex idea that comes into everything from hardware, for in, from interoperability with different, uh, with, you know, with everything from blockchain. And, and it's a very complex uh, concept. So when it comes to workplaces of the future, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of extended reality, of, of augmented reality as much as I am VR. Like, I love VR for the co-presence you get with it, that feeling of really being there with somebody. Um, you don't get as much in other mm. technologies. Um, and that's actually specifically my next yeah. stage of my, my PhD is on, is, is 
that feeling of connection and co-presence, uh, which is very unique to virtual reality. But when you've got mixed reality, so you've got overlays, um, it, so you can see the, the, your environment around you, but then there is, um, whether it's holographic or, or other images overlaid on top, augmented reality, um, where you can actually, uh, um, what best, the best example of augmented reality that people know is like Pokemon Go. Um, so, you, you know, you've got these things within your environment that you can actually interact with. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the, the latest headset from Apple is a really good, uh, it's an indication that mm. people keep saying the metaverse is dead. And it's like, no, we've just, we're just getting started. This new evolution of the internet is, is it's, it's moving. And I think we're, we're getting to a place where it's not about face-to-face -face or the metaverse. It's never going to be about that. That's like saying, oh, we've got the internet now, so there's no point in going to the shops because you can just obviously we still go to the shops obviously we'll still have that face-to-face -face contact mm. but it means that we're not restricted to only having that um, and it's about really making that um that kind of communication within these environments as as uh, beneficial as possible and as valuable as possible and to make sure that it does what it needs to do whether that's a, a workplace meeting or whether that is um you know talking to a a friend or a family member in another part of the world. How do we make that? How do we make ourselves feel close? Yeah. Okay. And also, just out of curiosity, what was it like to do a TEDx <laughs> talk? Were you nervous? Yeah, super nervous. Um, but I had this this huge benefit. I mean, the the TEDx team are incredible, um, particularly in Cape Town. That they're, they're such pros. Uh, the whole process is very well thought through. Um, I had a coach, shout out to Cynthia. She was amazing. And the, one of the most wonderful things was going through it with the other speakers. So people from all different walks of life, different ideas, different expertise. Um, and we all, we were all each other's cheerleaders as well. So we, you know, we were there for support. And when I got on stage, the first thing I did was look out for my fellow speakers who were all there, like going, yeah, you go, Joe. And we did the, I did the same for them. And it was really nice um fantastic experience oh, that's awesome and i always see the tedx talks and they're always so fun and they always look so inspiring and i can just imagine it must be quite nerve-wracking to go up there were you worried that you stumbled yeah. a little bit on I, your work I that did. you were going to stumble actually, on your words um this is the first time i've actually uh mentioned it i i completely missed out part of my talk thankfully you wouldn't know like i knew but watching it back i'm like I, now I can't remember which part it is. I know it was something to do with like the office and the office space that I was talking about buildings and I missed out a complete part of the talk. And, and I realized whilst, whilst doing the, doing the talk, I realized I'd missed it. And there's a little bit where I, I take a bit of a deep breath and you could actually see it on the talk and I continue on because that's, you know, that was the preparation. You know, I knew it very well. I knew my talk well. Um, it's like, like anything in life, you just got to kind of take that deep breath and keep going. <laughs> yeah. I just kind of got to grin and bear it and hope no one notices, yeah. but then again, no one's going to know what you prepared. Exactly. That's the, that's the goal. So I also see that you're an official member of the Forbes communication council. So what is it that you do exactly in that position? Yeah, so, so the Forbes communication council, it's an invite only uh, community for uh, senior communications people. They have different councils for different industries and and this is the the comms industry one and you know we share best practice with each other we share thought leadership um, and it's nice because it's it's very global uh, but this really speaks to my my belief in community 
you know, I've always really believed in the power of community, particularly when it comes to being an entrepreneur, uh, because it's very easy to feel very alone and very isolated and a bit. A lot of entrepreneurs have that kind of lone wolf mentality, and it's not always the best approach. Uh, going it alone can feel lonely. Uh, thankfully, I do not, with particularly with boxing, I do not feel alone. I'm working with a fantastic accelerator called MXP. Um, have agencies around the world. We're all doing this, not the same thing. We all have our different areas of expertise and focus, but we're all walking this this journey together. And it's really amazing to have that sense of uh, sense of community. Um, so there's four Forbes is a great one. Uh, mentioned MXP, Future Females, where we originally met, is another great one. Um, Chief, yes, as well as where we originally met. One, yeah. Um, and then there's industry industry based communities as well, like um, the International Association of Business Communicators. I've been involved with for a very long time, and the Internal Communications uh, Institute as well is is really good. Um, and it's it's just it's just really nice to to spend that time working with other professionals and, and sharing that best practice. Mm. Yeah, they always say that the power of community is so important as well. Because what is it that they, they, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Exactly. So exactly. I think definitely, especially when you're an entrepreneur, it must be super lonely building something up and then growing it. And at least then you have people that you can lean on and kind of get guidance from. Exactly. And, and you, you know, you do it not necessarily to help your own business, but along the lines, uh, that's where I found clients before. It's where I found great partnerships. And, you know, these people have become friends as well. So it's really nice to have, have these amazing people around me, even when we're not physically together. Back to the remote work thing. Yes, it feeds into the metaverse. <laughs> so Challenge. speaking of that, you know, being part of the, the different communities in the metaverse, what would you say is like a top tip that you could recommend for companies or individuals in organizations to improve that internal communication, whether you're on a remote or hybrid model, what would be sort of a good stepping yeah. stone to improve those internal comms? I think I might need to go, go with two here. And let me start with this one. I think the first one is, so I, I've, I've come from a kind of a generalist marketing comms background. So I often look, you know, I, I look at your employees, your, your talent as your most important voice, right? So it's m way more important than the media, arguably more important than other stakeholders like investors and, and even customers. Because, you know, if you don't have your, your, your team as who, who looks after your clients, who looks after your customers. Um, and they're the ones that will be promoting you or the opposite externally. So I think the, the biggest thing is really understand them. Listen, you know, and when I, when I say listen, I don't mean spy, <laughs> like see what they're doing on their computers. I mean, talk to them. And, uh, and then, and this is uh, the bit that a lot of companies uh, don't always get right. It's, on what you understand um you know you may you may do some surveys some employee engagement uh, questionnaires but then if you don't act on what the what you're being told and then report back on exactly mm. what you're doing your team will just feel like they um, you know they haven't really been listened to that it was just all for show and um, so i think that's the the first one is really understand really listen and on what what your team's uh, telling you and then I think the second thing is thinking about 
the full employee life cycle when you think about comms. Um, and that's where, you know, you, you, it's often compartmentalized. You know, you often get employer branding in one bucket, often reporting into uh, mm. either talent or into the marketing team. And then you have your kind of employee engagement, which is usually more the people and HR team. And then, you know, thinking about it all the way off to the, the, the point where that person is offboarding. And I, you know, I was speaking about offboarding recently on LinkedIn. Um, and it's something like 70, 71% of organizations don't have a formal offboarding uh, process. And that's really mm. concerning. It's concerning from a reputational standpoint, but it's also just not a good thing for the person that's leaving. Um, you know, we talk about closure yeah. in our personal relationships, don't we? You don't, you don't just break up with someone and be like, okay, bye. Like you, <laughs> you want to feel like, okay, I'm going to close this door and, and maybe there'll be other doors opening in, in the future. So. It, um, yeah, it's it's a really important thing to think about that full employee life cycle when you're thinking about communicating with your people. Actually, that reminds me because uh, speaking of employee life cycle and that journey, I saw an article or kind of like a meme on LinkedIn where it was saying, you know, stop having exit interviews. You shouldn't be having them at the end of the line when someone is leaving. Rather, you know, chat to your team now. And find and ask them questions like, if you had to resign today, what would you say? What would you change? That sort of thing. Do you believe there's be a yeah. benefit in not having an exit interview and rather having that before? Or maybe having those kind of communication yeah, with your team saying like, like you're saying, listen, what can we do? But then there's still value in the exit interview as well. Exactly. Yeah. I, th I think there is, there is value in exit interviews, but I agree with whoever posted that and that it shouldn't be. It, it shouldn't be an afterthought, right? You know, you shouldn't forget about them until they leave and then have an exit interview. You know, I, I, but by the same mm. merit, having stay interviews is often challenging as well because you're naturally going to, the, the people that will come to you to talk are those that are already engaged. So how do you actually get to those that aren't engaged and get them to tell you what's going on? Mm. Because you don't want necessarily the, the, the great story. You know, you, you, you want the... You you want the meat, and you want you want to be able to yeah. have. You want the hard truths. Data. You want the hard truths exactly, and you and, and and be able to act on that. We can't make informed decisions and 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 things like that if we don't have the real the real data to back it up. And final question before we move on to the ABC segment. But what is your views and opinions on failure? My views and opinions on failure. So I. I struggled with failure a lot in my early career. Um, I think it's it's because we, you know, especially when you've got high expectations of yourself and um, we've been taught to think about failure as something negative. And I, I struggled with that a lot. I had to fail multiple times to start to understand that actually it was those failures that enabled me to get to where I am now and to grow. And so it, it's kind of going, going through the arc, right? So I hated failure. Now, then I kind of like started to accept it. And now it's in that place where I'm like, I, I need to fail. I have to fail because if I'm not failing, I'm not trying. If I'm not failing, I'm in my yes. comfort zone. And so I think it's, it has to be balanced with celebrating the small wins and then taking note of, of what lessons are learned from the failures. And if you can do those two things and find that balance, then you kind of maintain that um, 
yeah, that, I suppose that sanity and looking at, at what growth really means. Yeah, I think a lot of people, I mean, speaking for myself, why I started the podcast as well, because I know this view and conceptualization of failures that, oh no, you can't step a toe out of line, you can't do anything wrong if you make a mistake on an invoice or send the wrong email. Oh my gosh, it's like yeah, yeah, end of yeah. the world rather, uh, rather than thinking this is a lesson, I sent the wrong email. Let me rather check the email address before I send it to the wrong person. You know, just yeah. taking those little steps rather than skipping them. So thank you so much for that answer. I think definitely having to take it as part and parcel. You know, if you're trying something, expect to fail and to learn and then possibly succeed. Definitely, definitely. So moving on to the uh, segment called the ABCs of your career. So starting with A, what was your amazing, affluent, Oprah Winfrey aha moment in your career journey? Ah, oh, there's there's a few that I could I could touch on, but I think I think this one's this one's an interesting one because it it really touches on a lot of who I am today and 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 where I've ended up in my career. Um, so when when I was uh, when I was seventeen, I was really considering going to study music at university. I'm a violinist. I still am. I still love my my music. Um, but then I went traveling. Oh wow. Uh, and uh, and I traveled for, to South America, went to Peru, and then I went to, to West Africa. And the travels in and of themselves were hugely influential. But it was also that I read two specific books while I was traveling. And one was, um, was Snow Crash by Neil Stevenson. And that is where the term metaverse was actually coined. Um, it's from the early nineties and my, my dad, who was an actual, he was a sci-fi author and he was a huge sci-fi fan had been banging on at me. It's like, read this book, Joe, read this book, Joe. And I, it took me till I was 17 to actually, uh, actually read it. And it was, it just really opened my mind about how, about how technology can really influence the human experience and, and how we experience life as human beings. Um, and then the other book. Very different was Coming of Age in Samoa by Margaret Mead, who's a well-known, one of the mother of anthropology, of social anthropology. You know, this gave me that, that real love of understanding culture and of understanding how groups form and how people interact and our, again, our experience of being human. And so these were, these were very, mm. very formative books and compounded by the fact that I was in these, for me, very exotic locations. Um, I came home, I, I rethought my musical aspirations, um, and instead went on to study anthropology and linguistics at the School of Oriental and African Studies at the University of London. Um, and I don't think I would have ended up, um, emigrating to South Africa had I, had I not done that. So it's been, yeah, it's been a, it was very, very influential for me. Dang, that's a, quite, quite a journey. I like that. It's like a several stage journey, but you're yeah. here now. <laughs> And moving on to B, so what was a business blunder turned to blessing? Oh, right. So <laughs> uh, I'll, I won't name, name names here, but uh, early in my career, I was at, I actually started working in political communication. And I was working on a pres presidential campaign for an African um, politician. Um, and let's just say that, that it didn't go quite as planned. The campaign didn't go quite as planned. Um, there were, uh, people were, were saying things, blaming, uh, various parties for dirty PR tactics. They were not true, but regardless, um, I ended up with my name on WikiLeaks. I don't know if it's still there. I hope it's not. 
Um, but, uh, but there was a blessing in this. I suppose two blessings. The first blessing was that it was um, it was really baptism by fire. I was very young um, and it was a really interesting experience. But more than that, it showed me that I did not want to work in political communications and I moved quite swiftly into court comms. I was going to say. <laughs> where I'm much happier. I like court comms. <laughs> yeah, as uh, so I studied politics and international relations, and whenever I tell people my degree, they say, "Oh, so why don't you go into politics? Why aren't you in politics?" I said, "Because it's a dirty, dirty game. I'm not. I can't. I'm too honest to be in politics. I can't do it." <laughs> That's the problem, isn't so it? I can, That's the problem. And I can imagine trying to do political comms as well, and just trying to do a good job, and then all these things are coming back at you because what do you do? And then. Yeah, that would put me off as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was it was rough. And C, what was a cinematic worthy cock up moment in your career? So yes, I, I could I could give you so many here. There, I, I was working with quite a high profile tech client. Thankfully, this was quite a long time ago as well. Um, and my my point of contact was on leave. She had gone on holiday. And she had put me in touch with somebody else. We were working towards quite tight deadlines for an important uh, important event. So she put me in touch with somebody else um, and said, just just reach out to this person to confirm things. So I did that. And I, I had all of my my team copied that were working on this account with me. Um, and I got an out, out, of, out of office from this new person. So I responded to my team, or so I thought, saying, they are so disorganized. But I had copied my client and her boss <laughs> in this email. And um, I, thankfully, I wasn't any ruder than that. I just used the word disorganized. But it was, <laughs> oh, that was a lesson. Uh, always check who you have in copy. And if you're going to say something not too nice, maybe don't put it on an email. <laughs> yeah. I had that um, happen to me. Last week as well, I was emailing the wrong person for about a week until I realized earlier this week that <laughs> same yeah. names, same start of the surname, but it's completely the wrong yeah. person. And I was like, why is this person not getting back to me? And then realized that, oh, it's actually the wrong person. Oh, no. <laughs> so I've been there. I can relate. Yeah. yeah. Now we're going to move to the quick fire round. So just first word or sentence or something that pops into mind, just shoot away. So let's start off with, if you could change people's perception about one thing, what would it be? Africa, but specifically talent in Africa. And I know that I don't need to convince you of that. Um, okay. Oh no, we've got load shedding. Oh no. <laughs> that, that's really good timing, eh? Like, Is I'm this saying, still going to work? Are we still? I, I, <laughs> I, can still? I can still talk. Yeah, Africa's <laughs> great. Load shedding. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Yeah, so the do you want to change the perception about Africa apart from the load shedding debacle? You saying African talent. So yeah, tell us a little bit more about what you mean. Look, I think that um, yeah, I've I've worked with global organisations, and a, a lot of the time they they sometimes ask you know why do you live in Africa? I'm like well, because I like it here. I'm like, but isn't it like X? Isn't it Y? Isn't it Z? Isn't it hard? Isn't it you know? Um, so there's like that that. There's still, we're in 2023 and there's still this perception that that Africa is somewhere that you don't want to visit, somewhere you certainly don't want to hire anyone. But yet there are incredible, incredible 
professionals here um, that, uh, you know, in, in certainly in all the industries I've worked in, um, you know, there's great communicators, there's great tech people, great software developers um, and great product people, I'm sure, as well, uh, that you can attest to. Yes. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it, it's, it's so bizarre that there's still this and, and, you know, not everybody, obviously, I'm generalizing, but there's still uh, a, a, a perception that isn't quite right. Mm. I think it's probably to do with the news that you see in media. Like you see so many countries, well, they also think Africa is a country as opposed to a continent, a lot of uh, the world and um, mainly more the U.S., but uh, you always hear people say, I'm going to Africa. And I think, okay, out of, I think we have about 64 countries on the continent. I'm like, okay, out of the 64, which, which, which Africa are you going to? Exactly. I mean, I always say, the and then of, each has its uh, own area in it. Like, how many, how many uh, languages in Nigeria? I think there's 60 something languages in Nigeria. And not all. Oh, no are, ways. I never know, knew that. Ethnicity, but. A lot of them are, you know, a lot of them ha are specific to, a, you know, what were um, uh, areas that, you know, and it, it's just amazing. Uh, and, and it's and that's part of the beauty of living in this continent. It's so diverse um, in terms of its mm. people and its environments. And um, I could quite happily if I, it, I lie, actually, I was going to say I could quite happily never leave Africa. That's not true because I love lots of other parts of the world too. And uh, I'm <laughs> sure my mum my mom would be very upset if I didn't visit the UK now and then. But in terms of the experiences you can have in this continent, um, it's mm. incredible. And two, what is the worst piece of advice you've ever received? Oh, this, this has got to be a parenting one, I'm afraid. Um, <laughs> but when people said to me when I had my first child, they were like, sleep when baby sleeps. I'm like, are you kidding me? That is literally the only time I can have a cup of tea that doesn't get cold, that I can maybe have a two-minute shower. Like, no, I'm not going to sleep when the baby sleeps. That's my pro semi-productive time. So that's my worst piece of, of advice. It's your alone time. <laughs> and off the back of that, so the worst piece of advice, what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? I, had, I, I don't know what I'm going to say about this one because there's, there's, there's a lot, but I think... The one that comes to me and the one that I think about quite a bit is that, um, and how was it said to me? You're not a brain surgeon. And thank goodness, no one would want me to be a brain surgeon, I promise you. But if I, if I, it, and it comes back to that thing about failing, right? It's like, don't be afraid mm. to just do it. No, people aren't going to die if. Mm you I know, send send the wrong email or whatever it is um yeah. and I think for You're me not that, operating that, on a table it, it sounds very simple but yeah exactly it sounds simple but it's actually it was quite important for me to hear that as a as a young professional and I remind mm. myself of that a lot if you could live in any book in the world which one would it be but if you don't read fiction apart from the two books you mentioned earlier what is another book that you would highly recommend I do read fiction. I don't um, prioritize it in my, my busy schedule much at the moment. But I tell you what I am doing, and I've been waiting for this day to come for years. So my five-year-old um, is now old enough to read the Chronicles of Narnia with me. 
And I say with me because I'm enjoying it as much as she is. Oh. <laughs> um, I, I read yeah. it when I was a kid and now I'm reading it again. And I was like, I would live in Narnia, definitely, but not when the witch is there. <laughs> no, no, agreed. Narnia, I can imagine the witch, the lion and the wardrobe. I can imagine yeah. you must just be reliving your youth, reading it to your, <laughs> to your daughter. Oh, what it's a brilliant. time. It's, it's so nice. It's so nice. And it means that. I kind of get my my fiction time in as well, uh, and I don't feel quite so bad going to bed after just watching half an hour of Netflix. <laughs> and final question, who are three people that you would invite to a dinner party, anyone in the world, dead or alive? Oh, I have no idea. Didn't plan for this one. Um, okay, so <laughs> David Attenborough, who is still alive, thank goodness. Um, he, I just think he's just... He's got so another movie um, coming out. Yes. And what is he? 90-something. Absolutely amazing. Um, I just find him so inspiring. He's such <sighs> an incredible storyteller. Yeah. He's really pushed the boundaries in so many different ways. So, so I think that, that I, would, I would just love to him to be at dinner. Um, the other two, I think, would need to be... Um, I'm going to go historical here. I'm going to go with uh, with Admiral Lord Nelson, Horatio Nelson, um, and that's because I'm a descendant of his. And so my mum's maiden name was Nelson, and you know he Battle of Trafalgar, okay. that kind of thing. I just I, I'm th I think he would not be very pleased to meet me because I've left I've left Mother England. Um, I get seasick. I'm really rubbish in boats. <laughs> I'm a little bit scared of waves. I don't think he would he would come if I invited him, but I'd love love him to be there nonetheless. Um, and then the last one, hmm, it would have to be some someone in like the tech tech field. Um, I don't want to say I don't want to say any of the obvious ones like Bill Gates. Oh, it would be amazing to meet him too. Um, yeah, why mm. not Bill Gates? He just really is an he's an interesting guy, um, and and he's really ha I haven't actually watched his. He's got a, a documentary, hasn't he, that came out relatively recently, I think, and on Netflix. I haven't seen. Oh, that does really he? Much. I didn't know that. I don't know how recent it is, but I just saw it being. I saw the trailer recently. I'm not very. Uh, I'm not very up to date with things. <laughs> but I would love to. I'd I'd love to 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 meet with him and really get his his thoughts on things. Yeah, I mean, especially considering he's a huge tech mogul, he's changed, you know, the PC industry for us. But then also, I I really enjoy hearing about him and his ex-wife, well now ex-wife Melinda Gates, because after that they just went down a philanthropic route. Exactly. Uh, you know, helping build sanitation in communities, looking at education. Yeah, the can Melinda, imagine. And then Melinda Gates must be so interesting to pick very his. Very interesting. Yeah, they do great things. Yeah, pick his brain about tech and philanthropy, which yes, is awesome. Exactly. But that's all the questions that I have for you, Joe. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank I look you for forward to hearing me. more about the metaverse and the workspace. Absolutely. And I'm very sorry that I didn't come with a tea. How ridiculous is that? I love tea. And um, I'm I'm very specific about uh, about which next time. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna have like my Yorkshire tea, um, really nice and strong, just a little bit of milk. I'll 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 make sure I have it next time. Uh, no, thanks so much again, Joe. I hope that you have a great day, and we'll be in touch soon. Thank you. <laughs>